Welcome to our weekly Church on the Rock podcast. For more information, visit us at churchak.org, download our Church on the Rock AK app, or like us on our Facebook page. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy our weekly podcast. So Shannon and I have been doing life group for some time now, and um, and Scott and Hannah and Matthew and Ashley have been a part of that circle, a part of that group. And uh, and one of the things we just love to do in our life group is take care of each other, pray for each other, just do life together. And so when we heard about uh, baby Jane, we knew that there was a role that we got to play. Yeah. Part of the value of the life group is sharing needs and knowing that Hannah and Scott were going to have a baby. Um, we were able to gather together as a group and get meals and diapers and other things together. And in addition to that, we were also able to, um, each of those people have uh, connections and we were able to draw other people into the circles of support as well. And so it, it became something that we were able to do as a community for them. And then as Ashley and Matthew um, took baby Jane, we were also able to support them with childcare, other things as needed. And uh, it was just a real community effort. If you have missed the past uh, two pieces of this story, we played them last week. Um, I believe they're available on our social media app and stuff and the interwebs and all of that uh, right now. But you can go check out the rest of the story. But here's what I love about this story. You've now seen three couples involved in the life of one baby, right? A little girl who needed an emergency placement. The goal all along was reunification with bio family. But ultimately, you're going to discover in a few moments what happened um, for and with baby Jane. But the reality is that now three families are involved, now an entire life group is involved, and they are actually gonna be a part of her story and her life for the rest of her life in some form or fashion. But that's what community does. Community provides an opportunity for us to be able to navigate challenging things, not just for ourselves, but for others. Amen? All right, good enough. You'll get fired up in a minute here. Uh, how many of you made it to the fair already this year? Some of you are experiencing trauma from that experience already? Like, man, if you went yesterday during the morning hours or after early afternoon, you don't need to get baptized today because you did yesterday. Um, but uh, also, my, we took our girls because we had like a break in the weather. So we took them two days ago on Friday. On Friday, we went. We're like, it's now or never. This is our last chance. So we went to the fair. Um, we spent seven hours at the fair, um, which took seven years off of my life. That's how that works. Um, and then we went back last night. My wife and I went to see a comedian, Nate Bergazzi, and um, we walked into the fairgrounds, and I was like, I think I have PTSD. Like, so if I saw you at the fair, let me rephrase that. If you saw me at the fair, and I didn't wave or smile or anything, it's just because I was experiencing trauma. It has nothing to do with you. Um, it's all me. Uh, but we had a great time. And now I'm all done with the fair. It could close tomorrow for all I care. Um, we've done our part. Our kids have been 
we ate stuff, got sick, and went home. So there you go. Last week, um, we were looking at, um, uh, my title was, I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up. How many of you went and bought Life Alert right after that? Um, I've Fallen and I Can't Get Up. And what we're really dealing with is why community matters. And my hope is that by the time we were done last week, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to it, go listen to it, but that you were actually convinced that community is important. It actually matters for us. In fact, we looked at Genesis chapter 2, where the Lord says, um, it is not good that man is alone, that you were actually created for relationship. Because technically, man wasn't alone. He had the presence of God there. And yet God says, no, it's fundamentally not good for you to not have other human relationships. And so from the very beginning of the story, God is acknowledging, identifying that you and I were created for relationship, created for community. And our anchor passage last week was this one in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I was going to read verse 9 and 10. Two people are better off than one. And I asked the question, do you believe that's true? Because I think sometimes we would say, yeah, community is important because it's a buzzword, and I've heard that it's important, and everyone else seems to think it's important. And, but the reality is that maybe we fundamentally believe I'm better off all by myself. It's too risky to be in relationships. But two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. And if one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. And I ask the question, is there anyone near enough that when you're in real trouble, they can help you back to your feet? Have you let anyone in that proximity? So last week we dealt with why community matters. And this week I'm going to make an assumption that you actually believe community does matter, And we're going to deal with how community happens. Because it doesn't just happen by chance. It actually requires some level of engagement from you and I, some level of intentionality if we're going to experience real, meaningful relationships and community. I'm going to break it into two areas. I'm going to break it into what is our responsibility as the local church. Right? What's the responsibility of this organization or institution, this place that has resources made available to it? What's our responsibility? Because there is a responsibility that the church has in helping you build community. But then the second piece is, what is your responsibility? What's on you? What do you need to figure out in order for you to experience real and meaningful community? So that's where we're going. You ready? He said, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Here we go. What's mine is mine. Acts chapter 2 is the story of the birth of the church, Uh, not as an organization or a 501c3, but as a community of people. It kicks off with the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, and these new believers, these people who have placed their trust in Jesus and now have experienced transformation from the inside, the infilling of the Spirit of God, begin to approach life in a radically different way than everyone else around them. And so here's how it's described in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47. And all who believed in Jesus were together and had all things in common. I want to pause just for a moment because they didn't just gather together. They they were just with one another, but there was actually something they were doing and sharing experientially with one another. So they were together, but they also had all things in common. And this word common, um, if you've ever looked into it, is actually um, an interesting way to describe their stuff. Uh, The word is um, 
koinos, and it literally means um, common or shared things, but it also means unclean, unholy. There's a reason that this word is used to describe their stuff that they were sharing with one another. We're going to get to it in just a moment. But they had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. It's a pretty familiar passage of Scripture if you've been around church for long at all. It's a passage I've preached on numbers of times in the past, but something stood out to me. Two things in particular stood out to me this last time as I was looking at this passage. I grew up in a church culture, church environment, a religious environment, um, where it was believed that if we saw more miracles in the church, more people would believe in Jesus. So if there were more healings, more people would believe in Jesus. If there were more miraculous happenings, more people would believe in Jesus. But that isn't actually how the church is described in the book of Acts. In fact, in this passage, they aren't referencing anything that you and I would probably consider a miracle. No lame man got up and walked. No blind eyes were opened. In fact, in the very next verses following this, those things are going to happen. But what we're clearly told is the reason that the early church grew so rapidly was because of the way they loved each other. It was because of community. In fact, people looked at this group of people, this hodgepodge, eclectic group of people from different socioeconomic backgrounds, uh, different ethnicities, even different, now this is going to come to the shocker, political views. Like, And this group of people didn't just say they loved each other. They were willing to sell their own possessions in order to make sure that the needs of one another were met. They really loved each other. And the world looked at that and said, that's miraculous. Like, if that's happening, if that's true, if real authentic community and relationship is being built here to the degree that they would share their stuff with one another, this God must be real. In fact, I would say that's still the case for the church today, that you will know they are Christians by their love for one another. So what does love look like? It looks like relationship. It looks like community. It looks like fellowship. Now, the other thing that stood out to me is they use this word common. They had all things in common. And the word can mean um, uh, uh, shared by all, but it also means not set apart. And here's why that matters. Because in their day, there was this religious idea that if I took my stuff and I dedicated it to the Lord, I couldn't share it with you. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus addresses this with the religious leaders. Listen to what he says. Then Jesus said, You skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold on to your own tradition. For instance, Moses gave you this law from God. Honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. How many parents would still like... I'm just kidding. But you say, it's all right for people to say to their parents, sorry, 
I can't help you, for I have vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. This was a religious practice known as Korban. Uh, it was, I could dedicate these things to the Lord, but once I dedicated them to the Lord, they belonged to the Lord. And now I can't just decide to do whatever I want with them, but it was actually a way of withholding my stuff from being available to give away to you. And so I was going to dedicate my stuff to the Lord, and then I didn't have to give it away to you. And he says, you've created these religious loopholes around the more obvious command to honor your father and mother. He says, in this way, you let them disregard their needy parents, and so you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own traditions, and this is only one example among many others. Now, the word Korban literally means sacred or set apart or holy. It's a contrast word to this word common or koinos. He's actually deliberately in the Acts passage saying your stuff isn't holy. It's just stuff. It's not special. It's not set apart for God. I would say it this way. Our monetary gifts do not matter to God if our hearts don't already belong to him. You know God doesn't need your stuff, right? Like he's not sitting on his throne right now wishing someone would give him a 2024 Polaris snow machine. He's not thinking, if I just had a wheeler, if I could just get a new scope, like he owns the world and everything and like, all of it is actually his. It all goes back in the box when it's all said and done. God is not languishing to receive your stuff. And yet in their day, they were offering their stuff to God and saying, my stuff is holy. And in Acts, they're saying, no, it's just common. It's just stuff, and you're free to share it with one another. I would say, actually, this idea isn't entirely foreign to us. I've heard it preached before, and I've preached it before, and I wouldn't even say it's entirely wrong, but instead of us offering some things to God, here's how we say it. Everything I have belongs to God. All of it belongs to God. Everything I have is his, and I am just a steward of his things, which is true in one sense, and in another sense might just actually be a religious way to be selfish about our stuff. In fact, it, this is actually, I think, what's being addressed in Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is going to tell a parable, and it's a parable about a master who leaves, and he leaves resources in the hands of his servants. He's going to give them bags of silver. It's called the parable of the talents, but it works out to these bags of silver that he's going to entrust to their care, and then he's going to go away on a trip. Now, listen to what it says, Matthew 25, 14. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in portion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. 
This is where we get the idea that we're just stewards of someone else's resources. But here's what stood out to me this time. Once he put it in their care, they did not ask him what they should do with it. Two of them decided it was their job to use these resources. And one of them decided it was too risky to do anything with any of it, and he buried it in the ground. But none of them called the master and said, hey, what would you like us to do with this money? They just made decisions about it because it was in their hands. They, they had the resources put in their hands, and they figured we're responsible for it. One of them invested and returns on that money. The other one goes to work and makes more and adds it to it. But one of them decides, I'm not going to do anything with it until I hear something from the master. I don't want to get in trouble with his resources. And yet the master put it in their hands. He said, you use it. You do something with these resources. I have a friend who is rather wealthy and generous, and he made this statement to me quite a while back now. It rattled my cage when he first made it. Here's what he said. He said, everything I have came from God, but it belongs to me. Everything I have came from God, but it belongs to me. And the question is, what will I do with it? If you live under a religious system, you believe God has already told you what you have to do with all of it. And it may not be coming from your heart at all. And God actually isn't interested in that. What he's actually always been interested in is your heart and our ability to say, this is just stuff. And it's in my hands. And I'm the one actually who is responsible to do something with it. My wife and I have been talking recently about what we want to do for support for certain missionaries. Um, and I'll just tell you, she's more generous than I am. Um, she's like, how much do you think we should give to this couple? And I'm like, I don't know, $3 a month? Like, just kidding. I did not say $3. Uh, you did not even laugh at that, which concerns me deeply. Um, like, oh, it seems fair. Uh, like, <laughs> anyways, I like throwing them out. She's like, oh, that doesn't seem like very much. I'm like, well, pff. There's other people that we want to support, too. I don't actually have anyone else in mind. I'm just like, we should hold on to some of our resources, right? But she's like, no, no, if it's in our hands, like, why don't we be generous with it? Why don't we just give it away? Here's my point, that sometimes we can be super spiritual about our selfishness. Oh, this is God's stuff. I need to go ask him what I should do with it. But there's a need right in front of me right now, and I have the freedom to meet that need. I have the wisdom to meet that need. I have the liberty to just go and meet the need. The stuff's been put in my hands, and it's what the early church did. It was just stuff. It was common. It wasn't holy in and of itself, but how they managed it, how they used it, it could accomplish something holy. Now, our stuff might not be sacred, but people sure are. Which brings me to eat up. I'm glad it's the 10 o'clock service, the 12 o'clock service would be like, oh, okay, I'm out of here. I'm hungry. But you've already eaten. You're fine. Eat up. And Acts Chapter 10, a man named Peter, who is one of the fathers of the early church. But Peter is also a really good Jew. And the Jews have a bunch of rules about who they can hang out with and who they can't hang out with. Because, listen closely, there are clean people and there are unclean people. There are holy people and there are not so holy people. Right. I'm not pointing to this side for any particular reason. I just want you guys to... Oh, never mind. Yeah, I am. Oh, no. Okay. Like, and, and so... 
So he's got this really strong sense of who he should hang out with and who he shouldn't hang out with, but he's been entrusted with the greatest message to ever grace the face of the planet. And so he's up on a rooftop, and he's having a dream around lunchtime, which you know, you have food dreams around lunchtime. And so he's having a dream around lunchtime. And in the dream, the sheet is lowered down from heaven. And on the sheet are all the things that the Jewish people are not supposed to eat. All the things that Alaskans are free to eat, like crab and halibut and like all of that. It's all coming down on the sheet. And there's this voice that says to him, Peter, rise up and eat. And Peter's like, oh, uh uh-uh. I I would never, ever would I ever. In fact, here's, here's what it says. Acts chapter 10, verse 13. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. I love that he included kill in there, don't you? Like, he's not pre-prepared. He's like, go hunting. I'm just saying, Kittry. Um, no, it's in the Bible. Okay, rise, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is, here's the word, common or unclean. And the voice came again to him, and a second time, what God has made clean, don't you dare call common. And Peter understands the dream immediately. He has withheld relationship from those outside of the Jewish community. He has not engaged in fellowship, koinonia, with them. He's actually withheld that from them. And by the way, it's been withheld from him also. And he realizes in this moment that God is saying, listen, I'm not talking about the food that you eat. I'm talking about people. Don't you dare call common what God has called holy. Your stuff might not be sacred, but people are, and relationship is. I thought about this a lot over the course of this week. I've thought, what relationships have we been avoiding that we actually could have been enjoying? There are lots of reasons that we do. Some of them are not great reasons, like judgmentalism. Some of them are just fear of rejection. But they've kept us from community, from relationship, from fellowship that we were created for. And maybe the Lord is just saying to us now, rise up, enjoy. Step into those relationships. Which leads me to ask, if we were created for community, then why does it seem so hard to build community? I'm so glad you asked that question. Uh, which brings me to whose line is it anyway? How many of you ever seen the show before? Like, when everybody does their part, right, they, they have assigned roles that they're playing or assigned topics that they're covering. When everybody does their part, it can just be hilarious. Like, everybody can really enjoy it. But if anybody fails at their part or doesn't fulfill their role, it actually just kind of falls flat. And the, and the reality is, when we talk about community, there are things that... Church on the Rock, as an organization is responsible for, or the church, and there are things that you're responsible for. What I've noticed over the years is we love to point the finger at institutions for not creating things for us that maybe we're actually responsible for ourselves. Oh, that's a good word, preacher. I know. Wait till we really get into this one. Here. I would say Church on the Rock's responsibility. Because 
there are resources that people entrust into our care to accomplish certain things. And you should expect that certain things are accomplished because you've entrusted resources to our care. We've employed staff in order to meet certain needs. And by the way, I would also say if you aren't entrusting any resources to our care, you shouldn't expect anything. Like there's no stocks that I never invested in that I'm angry that they plummeted because I didn't invest anything in them. But now, I'll say this. Um, if you went to men's conferences last year, we gave you these T-shirts. I don't know if you can read what that says. It used to say uncommon. Now it just says un. Because after you wash it once, common disappears, and now we all went to the un-conference. Like, a bunch of guys were super disappointed in the shirts that they paid for. They gave me this one for free, so I didn't care. Like, I didn't invest anything in it. I didn't expect a whole lot from it. I'm disappointed for them a little bit. But the reality is that when you make investment in something, you should expect some things. Here's what I think the church is responsible for. I actually think the church as an institution or an organization is actually responsible to meet the needs in our community with those resources, to meet the needs in our body with those resources. I think we're actually responsible um, to meet the needs of those who are serving in vocational ministry in our church. I think we're responsible to support the preaching of the gospel around the world and right here with those resources. I also believe we're responsible to create, listen closely, opportunities for spiritual growth and community. But that's actually all we can do when it comes to community. Because at the end of the day, what's actually your responsibility is to engage in community. It's actually your responsibility to step into community. And the truth is, the church as an organization will never do it all perfectly. In fact, they may do it poorly quite often. We may do it poorly quite often. And here's the kicker. The church could actually do it all right, and you could still choose not to experience relationship and community. We do it all the time. And the church could get it all wrong and you could still experience relationship and community because you chose it, because you stepped into it. It's actually your responsibility to develop community, to experience community, to step into those relationships, which can be a real challenge. I think for many of us, we think about it in terms of there are too many barriers to us experiencing community, which brings me to cattle guards, and locked gates. I grew up on a farm in Oklahoma, um, and we had gates that we would lock and close to keep cattle in certain pastures, that sort of thing. Um, but there's also another tool that you employ on a farm. If you've ever been on a farm, you'll know about this. Um, they're called cattle guards. And it's not a gate. It's actually a grate on the ground. It's these bars that run across the ground, and they've got gaps in between them. And the cows, for whatever reason, are terrified to try and cross them, probably because they believe their hoof is going to get stuck in there and it's going to get broken or whatever, which can happen. But what I've known for a long, long time, because I've seen cows do this, I've seen them jump barbed wire fences. They could jump over that cattle guard. But it's enough of a barrier in their mind that they won't. I think we actually often think about these sorts of things in our lives that keep us from community. We think about them as barriers instead of gaps, instead of something that we could actually build a bridge across. 
This is what's keeping me from community. And you have to pause and ask yourself the question, is that just a cattle guard or is that actually a gate that has been locked? Is that a barrier or is it something I could actually build a bridge across that I could step into relationship? So what is it that's stopping you and me from individually and as a family stepping into community, building bridges into those relationships? I want to identify five things in the next couple of minutes here. Five things that I think actually cause us to avoid community. Are you ready? Good. My wife is ready. Um, what about any, this section? Are you ready? This section? Are you ready? Four? Okay. This section? Are you ready? This? Man. We're gonna, okay. I'm going to need to bring some Pentecostal back uh, here. Um, five reasons why we avoid community. Here's the first one. I'm not sure what they're really like. Right, that sense of uncertainty here. I just just want to solve this for you right now. They're weird. We live in Alaska. Everyone's weird. There's going to be people in that group that are like, whoa, I don't know what I think about them. They will feel that way about you too. Get over it. Like, Like that fear that I don't know what they're like. You'll only find out if you engage. It doesn't mean you have to be a part of every group. There are places you maybe fit better and places that you don't. Like if you're in high school, I would encourage you not to try and attend my parents' seniors group. It isn't seniors in high school. It's seniors in life. Like, you know, life alert? Okay, like, but pick a group and then just engage. You'll find out what they're like. And, and honestly, not trying anything new because you don't know what it's like, that is not how you want to live your life. The second reason that I hear often is this. It's just too much work. Yes, relationships are a lot of work. So is paying your bills, but you should still do it. So is your physical health, but you should still engage. So is your spiritual health. So is parenting, right? Like, there's lots of hard things in life. And to say it's too much work, now, listen, I totally get it. For Kitri and I, we came from a community that we had been in for a long time. We've been in that community before we were married. We've been in that community before we were pastors. We've been in that community before our kids were born or before we got involved in adoption. Like, we've been in that community a long time. And when you leave one community and you go to another one, it feels like starting from scratch all over again. And maybe that's the position you're in. You came from another church or you just moved to this community. It just seems like a ton of work to build relationships. It is, and it's worth it. It's worth doing it. Maybe you're here, you've been here for a long time, and you show up on Sundays now, and you're like, I don't see anyone I recognize anymore. And you're thinking, like, I should just go to a different church. You have to do the same thing at that church also. It's just work, and it takes time to build relationships, but it's work that is worth it. But it is work. The third thing is this. Not only am I not sure what they're really like, and it's just too much work, but there's no one like me there. Like, my life experiences, or where I've come from, or what I'm interested in, like, there's no one like me there. Have you ever thought that maybe it's not about you? I know it sounds shocking, but maybe that could be a reason for you to join, is they need someone like you. Maybe you would discover that there was a value for what you bring to the table, that there was a value for who you are, for how you're designed, for what you've experienced in life, that that group actually needs. We tend to think about all of these things in a rather narcissistic way. It won't meet my needs. It's too much work for me. There's no one like me there. And yet maybe you were the one to bring something to that group. You're 
You're designed to be a contributor, not a consumer. I'm not sure what they're really like. It's just too much work. There's no one like me there. And here's the fourth one. I just don't like someone who's there. Duh. They also probably don't like you. It's life. Like, everywhere you go, at some point, your relationships will have tension and friction in them. And if you don't learn how to work past those things, how to value one another, even in spite of those things, you will never engage in relationships because every relationship at some point will fail you. I have a group of guys I was supposed to go moose hunting with. I won't name them. They may be in this room. They may not be in this room. They might even be on this side, but they can't go now. I just discovered that. And I'm like, I thought I had friends this whole time. If I let that be a deal breaker in our relationship, every relationship I have will fall apart eventually. I will self-sabotage it. And I will fail them at some point as well. Listen, there are going to be moments, even if you started a group and it was all people that you liked and they liked you, the day will come that you don't like each other so much and you got to figure it out. you got to work through it. It's actually part of relationship and community. I don't like someone there. And here's the last one. I have nothing to offer. Which sounds really humble on the surface, but you actually aren't the one who gets to decide that. They're the ones who get to experience relationship with you and determine the value that you bring to the group. It's amazing to me. It happened to me this past week. Um, someone I had never had a conversation with before. They've been part of one of our campuses for many, many years. I know their wife because she serves at one of our thrift stores, and, but I didn't know them at all. And we were dealing with some uh, coins and whatnot that we needed to figure out what to do with that had been donated. And somebody told me, this person is the leading expert, not in the valley, in the world on this topic. So they contacted me, we sat down, we're meeting, we start talking about coins. I've never been a coin nerd. Like when I was a kid, I was like, ooh, this is an old penny, it must be worth something. What I've discovered is it could be worth a million dollars. Like this person just downloaded all their knowledge to me. And then I'm thinking about my daughter because my daughter is a coin hound. Like she saves all these coins. So they're all strewn around our house right now after this conversation that I had. And this person who probably thought they had nothing to offer to me on a really personal level had something to offer me. But they probably would have assumed that they didn't. In fact, that's how they started their conversation. And yet I get to decide, actually, I really enjoyed this relationship. I really enjoyed this conversation. And now I know that we're multimillionaires. <laughs> it's not true. But I did find a coin that was worth $55. It's a $55 piece. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> All right. Um, I'm not sure what they're really like. It's just too much work. There's no one like me there. I don't like someone there, and I have nothing to offer. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine if Jesus had employed any of those excuses and said, I'm not going to go down to those people. I'm not going to engage with them. They're going to reject me at some point. There's no one like me there, which is so true in Jesus' case, uh, right? I don't like someone there. That might be true. I, I mean, I know he's... Jesus and all, but people are hard to live with. They're like, what if Jesus had said, I don't want to, it's not worth it, it's too much work, it's going to cost me too much, and yet he does the opposite of that. And he doesn't just do the opposite of that in coming into the world. If you've experienced salvation, relationship with Jesus, you know that he does that on a regular basis for you and I. 
He knows everything about me. He knows all of my failures. He knows all of my fears. He would have 10,000 reasons not to like Jonathan Walker, and yet he shows me grace over and over again. He shows me mercy over and over again. He shows me tenderness over and over again. He disciplines me over and over again, but he never abandons the relationship. And when you've experienced that, and this has been my own experience, when you experience the goodness of Jesus, it becomes easier and easier to love other people. Whenever someone fails me or they speak bad about me or they post something on social media or whatever it is, like my default tends to be, after I rage for about three minutes in my head, my default tends to be like, man, Jesus has been so kind to me. Like, why would I? How could I hold anything against them? It's a pathway to community and relationship, and it actually comes through understanding what you've been given in relationship by Jesus. All right. Brings me to the last piece here. Lego Batman. How many of you have seen the Lego Batman movie 2017? Really? That's it? I thought you were... Okay, good. How many adults have seen the Lego? Good, good, good. Um, epic. Like, it is not a kid's movie. I don't actually know that I've seen the whole movie through, but my girls love watching it in the back of the vehicle while we're driving, and I just, it is hilarious. Like, it is so well done. It is, it's an adult movie. Like, it is so, so funny. But I discovered here not too long ago the reason why it strikes me as so funny is because and this happened yesterday as we were driving. Um, the, it's playing, or two days ago, uh, as it's playing, I'm just cracking up. And I, I catch out of the corner of my eye my wife looking at me, and she's looking at me with that knowing look like, you think this is so funny because you're him. And I was like, don't, no woman. I get thee behind. Like, like but she's right. In fact, as I've been watching it, um, it's really um, about Alfred and even the Joker, like everyone trying to convince Batman that he's a loner and it's not healthy. He needs relationships, right? His family was all killed and so he needs to be, but he doesn't need anybody because he's Batman, right? And like, so he doesn't want anyone, he doesn't need anyone. And so they're just like, I thought two days ago, I was like, this is a leadership film. Like, every pastor needs to watch this film and take notes about it. I, I called it a film. It's a cartoon. Anyways, but, like, it's, oh, it's so good. It's so good. You, you have to watch it. But there's a scene, there's a particular scene where Alfred, the butler, um, in Batman Lego movie, it's spelled with two Ts, uh, but he, um, he comes up to him from behind, and he's looking at a wall that's all the pictures of his family, right? His parents have been killed, and he's just kind of standing there with his bathrobe, but his mask also on, and he's just looking at it, and, and Alfred comes in, he surprises him, Batman punches him, like, sorry, my reflexes are so fast, and, uh, but, but Alfred notices that there's something's been going on with Batman. He's been longing for something, and so he tries to bring it up, because he's the closest, right, to, to Batman. So here's, here's what happens. Alfred, were you looking at the old family pictures? Batman, the what? Oh, right, those are up there. Look at that. No. Alfred, sir, I've seen you go through this before. Would you like to talk about your feelings? Batman, I don't talk about feelings, Alfred. I don't have any. I've never seen one. I'm a night-stalking, crime-fighting vigilante and a heavy metal rapping machine. I don't feel anything emotionally except rage, 24-7, 365, at 1,000%. Good night, Alfred. 
It's morning, sir. You can't spend the rest of your life alone, dressed in black, listening to angry music and staying up all night. How many of you just felt that? <laughs> staying up all night, Batman. Yes, I can. I'm Batman. Alfred, don't you think it's time you faced your greatest fear? Batman thinks and ponders. Snakes? No. Clowns? No. Snake clowns? Bruce, listen, your greatest fear is being a part of a family again. Soft music starts to play. Batman's thinking. You're like, ah, oh, it's starting to sink in. Nope, now it's snake clowns because you put that idea in my head. <laughs> Sir, I, time for push-ups. One, two, I'm going to a thousand. Like anything he can to avoid a conversation about real and meaningful relationships. And everyone in his life is trying to lead him to them, but he is convinced that he's better alone. And yet something in there is longing to be known. I'll tell you, isolation is one of the most dangerous things for you and I. Coming up as a pastor, starting in youth ministry, and then moving into different roles over the years. In the early years, I fundamentally believed a lie that had sort of been passed down to pastors. Listen, you need relationships. That's important. You need community. They just can't be people in your church. It's too dangerous to be in close relationship with people in your church. And then I started to realize, actually, those are the very people I need to be in relationship with. There must be people who are in this room, who see me up here, who hear what I say, who know what I'm like, who know me, who know my life, who know my family. I actually have to be. It is so dangerous to allow myself to be put up on a pedestal. It's not just dangerous for you. It's dangerous for me to allow that. And I actually have to engage in real and meaningful relationships that are in close enough proximity that when I fall down, they're right there to help pick me up. And so here's my assignment for you this week. You ready? School's already started. If your kids are going, you're going. So school's already started. Here's the assignment for this week. I want you to take some time, and I want you to evaluate why is it that you avoid putting in the work to enjoy community? to enjoy relationship, to be known, and to know other people? Why is it that you do that? You're the one who can answer that question, but pursue an answer to that. Why do I avoid this? And here's the second thing. Watch the Batman Lego movie. <laughs> Seriously. Like, just watch it and think through the ways that what makes it so funny is it's so relatable. I think for men, in particular. But the truth is, when it comes to that longing for real relationship, that longing for community, is it risky? Yes. Will people let you down? Yes. Get over it. It's still worth it. It's absolutely still worth it. I want to invite you to stand. We're going to roll the rest of the story here, um, and it's going to kind of be an an overview of everything else that happened with baby Jane, and then I'm going to come and wrap up, and we're going to move into worship and then into baptisms. If you're getting baptized today, um, whether you already signed up or not, um, as soon as this video is done, head straight out those doors. Pastor Paul is going to be out there, I believe. Uh, Pete is going to be out there. So Pete, Paul, and Mary, they'll all three be out there waiting for you. They've got, they got everything that you need to get baptized today, but if you already signed up, you can head out those doors as soon as this video is done. Um, and if you want to get baptized today, 
head straight out those doors. We're going to celebrate here in just a few moments in worship and baptism, but check out the rest of the story. Now, I was thinking about the language that we've used to describe what's happening tonight at 6.30, and we've said um, all of these agencies are going to be here that we can partner with. I actually think it's the opposite. I don't think God gave the mission of standing in the gap for people, of building community around people, the most vulnerable, those in need. I don't think he gave that mission to state agencies. I don't think he gave it to governments. I think he actually gave that mission to the church. And actually, those agents are coming to figure out how they can partner with us to meet a real need in our community, to build circles of support by building relationship with one another so that now people like baby Jane, as she grows up, there's gonna be a whole life group of people, no matter where they end up in the world, who are praying for her success, who are cheering for her success, who are available to her when the time comes. That's what it looks like to build those kinds of communities right here in our church. Thank you for listening. For more of our podcasts and to discover how you can connect, visit us at churchak.org or download our Church on the Rock AK app from either iTunes or Google Play.